Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel that we're reading about tonight because it is our only hope and comfort and it's a sure hope and comfort. So we ask your comfort and presence with our dear sister in these last days. Um, And we thank you that the most important things are certain. We do have certainty regarding the things that are most important. We thank you that you have revealed that, uh, that to us. Lord, we pray for Robin and Michelle and Stacy and Annette, uh, that you give them strength and, and patience and grace. We thank you that um, death has been overcome through the one death of your son. And uh, we thank you that the tomb is empty and all that that means. Help us with our study tonight as we see your son tried and convicted before sinful men. And we see our dear brother Peter stumbling and we can see ourselves in him. We thank you how your grace works in our lives and in his life. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we are reached the point of Jesus' trial. And um, maybe I'll just walk through uh, the six. We have our notes organized into six steps as far as this trial goes. And maybe we'll do it with a map here. So Jesus is arrested up here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, by the way, this, this black line is the exterior walls of Jerusalem at that time, at New Testament times is what that black outline is. And the scale is um, to help you get an idea of the distances involved. You see that there is like a quarter mile. Okay, or actually it's a little less, two-tenths of a mile. So this is all within a couple miles. Uh, when you see that's a quarter mile. So Jesus is arrested up here in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And then the mob escorts him some path. We don't know what path they took, but we believe they escorted him down here on the bottom left to the... Um, high priest. It's more than a house. It's kind of like a palace. And whoever was serving as high priest, he and their family would occupy these quarters. And the order of events that I am giving you has Jesus before Annas and Jesus before Caiaphas happening both in the complex of the high priest. Um, and before Caiaphas is the Sanhedrin, the council. So I, I'll probably say I'll probably say council, uh, Sanhedrin, and before Caiaphas, and we're all talking about the same thing. The Jewish ruling council had seventy members, and the high priest was the leader of the council, okay, or the Sanhedrin, uh, and so. Um, many think that that Sanhedrin meeting was held in this building. Some think the, San, the 
high priest's house is over here, and the Sanhedrin meeting was held somewhere actually in the temple, uh, the temple complex over here. So Jesus is arrested, and first he's brought before Chia- he's brought before Annas uh, late at night. That would be late Thursday evening. He is brought before Annas, and we went through that last week. And uh, then, second, he goes, he, he is moved to the Sanhedrin. So, still at night, the Sanhedrin begins to have their meeting, and they conclude um, early in the morning. And some say that might be a second meeting that they had, because it was illegal to meet at night. <laughs> and so they might have had a follow-up or a concluding meeting. We'll see some of the texts that might indicate that. So first it's Annas, then it's Caiaphas uh, and the council. And then when they convict Jesus of blasphemy, which carries a death sentence, then they move him over here to the praetorium where Pilate, the Roman governor, is, has to judge the case. And that's happening early Friday morning. And uh, then Pilate discovers Jesus is a Galilean. And Pilate doesn't have jurisdiction over the northern parts of Israel. Herod Antipas does. And so Pilate sends Jesus off to Herod. And there was also a Herodian palace inside the city. And this is Herod's palace. So Pilate sends Jesus off to Herod. Herod interrogates him. And then Jesus is sent back to Pilate, and then before Pilate continues, and then finally they condemn him sometime early or mid-morning, probably at the latest, and he's sentenced to be crucified. And then uh, people think that the site of the of the Golgotha is over here, just outside of outside of this city wall, and. Um, there were two others crucified with Jesus. Obviously, there must have all, the Romans must have already had two executions by crucifixion already scheduled for that day. Okay, and so Jesus, so they're already, there's already a set of Roman troops or whatever already lined up to carry out the execution of the two other individuals. So what happens here is Jesus gets joined in with the other two that are going to be executed on that day, which is Friday. So there's some kind of overview. And um, tonight we are, uh, let me go to that. And we are going to continue with Peter's denials and, and do those kind of all together. Here's what I've just basically said, the six things. So uh, we pretty much did number one last Wednesday. And so we're on page 210, and we're going to look at more, uh, more of the details regarding Peter's denials. John is very abbreviated on that, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have additional information of how this happened. So we cannot be certain as to the precise time when Judas, when Peter's, when Peter's second and third denials occurred. 
From John, we get the impression that they occurred sometime after Annas had finished questioning Jesus and before dawn, uh, certainly before dawn, and probably after Annas had questioned Jesus. And that is, in our, in our uh, steps here, that's like between steps after one and before three is where Peter did two more denials. And so, starting with John, uh, we saw that was the shortest account, and we saw Peter was warming himself uh, by the, in the courtyard by the fire, and they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? But Peter denied it and said, I am not. Uh, sometime transpires, between John 18, John 18, 18, 25, and 26. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And there's a break here. There's at least probably an hour between verses 25 and 26. One of the servants of the high priest, the relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Uh, and Peter denied again, and immediately the rooster quote. Okay, so that's, that's the end there in John. But now turning to Luke, chapter 22, verse 55, is we'll pick it up there, and we have more detail. Um, Luke reports Peter's first denial that the certain servant girl is likely the gatekeeper. Um, uh, now, when they had okay, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat Peter sat among them, and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, and Luke gives us a little more detail looked intently at him. <laughs> so she is like, she, her attention is fixed on Peter. She specifically kind of singled him out and is looking intently at him. And here she doesn't ask a question. She makes a statement and she's talking to other people that are there. This man was also with him. So at this point in Luke's account, she's confident that Peter is associated to Jesus. But he denied him, uh, saying, Woman, I do not know him. I do not know him. So Peter uh, denied him. Woman here is a polite form of address, like madam or ma'am in English. We might read that and think Peter's, you know, kind of being squirrely, or, <laughs> but, it, but it's probably not. Uh, he just says, woman, I do, not, I do not know him. So that's heartbreaking, you know, to, um, to hear. Uh, they obviously, they knew that the Jews were out to kill him for sure. And uh, they felt at great risk themselves. Uh, and uh, they don't understand a lot also. I've pointed that out, you know. So 
let's keep going. So then um, Luke continues his account and gives us some timing information. Uh, But he denied him. Okay, after a while, after a little while, another saw him and said, now this is another person now, there's at least three different ones that confront him. Another saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, I am not. And one of them uh, refers to Jesus and his followers, Jesus and his disciples. And so now Peter is not only saying, I don't know him, but Peter is saying, I'm not one of them. He's disassociating from all of them, really, right? He's disassociating from, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of those disciples. You know, of course, Jesus was the leader. Uh, I am not one of them. Okay. So, um, let me see my own notes here. Now Luke continues with Peter's third denial, which came about an hour later. See, verse 59. Then about an hour had passed. Another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Now they knew he was a Galilean because of the dialects were different. And his speech was different. And um, it, it's, I, I don't know, it's not, it, it's not humorous. Um, so they identified him with his speech. And Jesus, of course, was also a Galilean. And at this point, three, in, three individuals now have rightly identified Peter, that he is associated with Jesus. And he is one of his disciples. Um, But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And so Luke really captures it. He even says, while he was speaking. He adds that detail. As soon as Peter starts denying him, he's not even done and the rooster's crowing. So... And um, something, I, I, it's on my notes here somewhere. They probably figured out Peter's speech because on the previous two denials, he is, you know, he's speaking. So he, every time he's denying that he doesn't know him, they're all saying, boy, he sounds like a Galilean to me. So that's how they, you know, he's been, he's been denying the Lord and they've been listening, and they've been hearing his his accent. So, um, all right. Now, only Luke gives us the following uh, detail. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see that. that. Valerie, go for it. I thought I would mention that for the first two denials, Peter denies... Jesus, but in the third denial, Peter denies understanding what the person's talking about. Because he says, man, I do not know what you're saying. Yeah, and what was he saying? 
that he must have been with Jesus. Right. So he is still denying Jesus. So, so the man is saying, you, confidently, you know, you also were with him. And when Peter says, I don't know what you are saying, that really is a denial of the Lord because the man was saying, you've been with him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've been taught to read with precision. That's very, uh, that's very good. And, and uh, the, yeah, I wish I would have learned to read well and write well way earlier than I did. So, those of you, we don't have too many young ones here. Well, you guys are still young. But now's the time. <laughs> and, you know, I thought, well, you know, I can use tools and all that. Who needs this, who needs this reading and writing stuff? Well, that was a big mistake. You can still tell, and you graciously listen to me sometimes two or three times a week, and you can still tell. <laughs> so, but this young lady, I can tell, has learned to read with precision by the questions that she asked. Uh, so, okay. So, uh, Luke gives us this following detail after the rooster crows. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Stared would maybe be too strong of a translation, but our English word looked at is a bit weak. (laughs) The lexicon definition here is, quote, to look at something directly and therefore intently. Look at, gaze on. So this isn't a glance that rooster crows and Jesus turns and looks at Peter and gets eye contact and looks at him there. I suspect Peter ended the contact <laughs> and not Jesus. And um, so let's talk about this a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> that, uh, that uh, let's see. Yeah, Jesus hears the rooster crowing and knows what it means. Okay, Jesus hasn't been keeping track of Peter, but he hears the rooster crow, right? And he knows what it means. Peter's just denied me the third time, right? Peter, Jesus hasn't witnessed the first two denials, but he hears that rooster crow and he knows Peter's just denied me the third time. Jesus looks in the courtyard, there he is. Uh, we have a hymn built around this, right? In the hour of trial, Jesus pray for me, blessed by base denial. I was just thinking, he was not yet on the cross. Was no. he on the cross? Okay. No, he he's was... still he's still in this high priest's courtyard or that that building. Okay. Now. The the question is how how could they have line of sight eye contact? That's I think I think it's quite possible if both the meetings are held in that compound. Annas is in one area of the compound, and Annas questions him. Annas is done, and while while Annas is questioning him, and they first brought Jesus to Annas, the Sanhedrin is assembling in another area of the compound. And so Annas is done, 
and the Sanhedrin isn't ready yet, probably, they, they're, they're, or may, even if they are, but Jesus is going to be transferred from the one area to the other. So my guess is he's done with Annas. He's back in the courtyard waiting to be executed, executed, uh, escorted uh, to the meeting place of the Sanhedrin. So Jesus is back in the courtyard where he can where he can see Peter. That some say maybe he's in a in a building where there's a window and he can look out of the window. That's possible, but I think it's just more likely Jesus is back in in the courtyard, and Peter is still in there, and that's where they had the eye contact between Annas and Caiaphas. So. That's about the best I can do uh, of how they managed to have that have that contact. So yeah, that's in your notes there. That's the second paragraph, third paragraph down on the on the right. So uh, okay. So now the rooster crowing and Jesus turning and looking at Peter immediately causes Peter to remember the word which the Lord. Uh, from the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then Luke tells us, so Peter went out and wept bitterly. And uh, we have that in uh, Luke 22. Peter's courage of a few hours earlier has all evaporated. And um, he is overcome with remorse. And I put it in quotes. He's hating himself. And he is overwhelmed with regret. Uh, The regret is instant. And he's overwhelmed. The remorse, the regret. While Jesus makes the good confession before all his interrogators, Peter denies he even knows Jesus before his three questioners. So... Jesus' earlier prediction, you will leave me alone, now has an even greater fulfillment. That's what I thought. Think if Jesus had looked out in the courtyard and Peter hadn't denied him and was still there. That would have been a comfort, wouldn't it? That would have been, I'm not alone. Peter's actually still here, or they're still here. Now we're going to see one disciple and four heroic women show up. Brian? I know uh, you're not doing a sermon, but there's an interesting contrast because of the uh, all the detail that's in here is separating what Peter does and what Judas does. But oh, I think there's a parallel here and that we learn about from oh boy i'm uh gonna fail my myself here but um i think it's peter that says there's a godly there's a remorse that comes um uh a regret that comes with um with true repentance with, yeah regret um, not to be regretted not yeah or uh yeah a, a sorrow yeah that leads to repentance yeah. Yeah. and i think the bible is probably emphasizing that both judas and peter had some great regret or remorse, and what do they both do with it, and how do they solve their remorse? Absolutely. 
and Peter's remorseful and does the yeah. godly thing, right? Yeah. And Judas does not. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It, it's a lesson for us as well, right? And I also think there's something else going on where the other disciples all go through a lot for Jesus, and I think Peter's going to demand a lot. Jesus is going to demand a lot of Peter later. And I think oh. this particular experience, and with Jesus even being there to look at him, is going to let Peter look back and know that I can do a lot for Jesus because of what Jesus did for me in that situation. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and and we see that in the later life of Peter. And we see these these graphic um, two men, and and we see the remorse that leads to death and and Peter's repentance it's it's sobering um so yeah okay yeah and the leave and and he is left alone um though we don't know where John is <laughs> but John shows up at the cross he's the only one of the 11 that we know of that shows up at the cross so he does he does show up um, okay um, yeah already said that now Matthew Matthew appears to cover Jesus's trial before the council and then back up and covers Peter's earlier denials and assuming the order that I've suggested above from John and Luke is correct then Matthew covers the trial and then backs up and covers the denials and Mark follows the same pattern. Now Matthew 26 Matthew 26:69 contains some more additional details of this. <clears throat> and uh, let's see from 71 we know after Peter's first encounter he may have been trying to remain unnoticed. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. Okay, so he's no longer... Um, no, I'm sorry, I want to get verse 7. One. This, is, this was the second denial, and he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And then he must have moved. And when he had gone out to the gateway, okay, so he's left the area of the fire, and he's gone out to the entrance to the courtyard, probably thinking he's trying to not be observed anymore and not be in the light of the fire and all this. So he's, he's back to the gateway, but even there he's not able to escape someone um, speaking to him. Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, and that's another dimension that we get out of Matthew and Mark, is Jesus denied with an oath, and he said, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Now, in this case, it's interesting. What seems to begin happening is those who stood by must have been talking about Peter 
because they're over here and they're standing by. And then what do they do? They approach Peter more than one. So I assume they're talking about Peter and they came up and said to Peter. So they're over here talking about who is this guy and they decide that he really is one of Jesus's and he and they approach him. It's plural, it's more than one. Those who stood by came up to Peter and said to Peter, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. So now he is getting vehement. And probably what it means about him cursing and swearing is, or, and taking an oath, is that he is taking an oath and calling down, uh, you know, a curse upon himself if he's lying. Okay, you know, God destroy me, you know, if I'm lying. That's probably what he's doing there. Is he's taking an oath and and bolstering, you know, I, I, it's obvious. I, I mean, what I'm saying is that's probably what he's doing. Is he's making an oath, you know, may God, you know, kill me or whatever or something if I'm lying. And, I mean, he fear has taken over. Okay. It's not a sin to be fearful. It's how we react when we have fear. Okay, that's a big, big deal. Okay, so you know, uh, and and by God's grace, uh, we need we need to learn how uh, to handle fear in a godly way. And uh, so, um, ah, so Peter. Uh, is here for all of us to see. Fortunately, our lives aren't going to be detailed and published like this. <laughs> uh, most of our lives, probably none of our lives in here, are going to be detailed and published like this. Um, so where are we? We're down here on page 210 um, with his third denial. Hmm. All right. Okay, we're going to page 211 here. Um, now, yeah, from verse 73, uh, we realize word spreading amongst those in the courtyard. I've already said that. They come up to him. They must have approached him and his voice gave him away. Now, um, like Matthew, Mark appears to report Jesus' trial before the council first. And then he backs up and follows with Peter's earlier denials. We're not going to go and read all the way through that. But um, <clears throat> now Mark's account has a few surprises, one in particular. And we commented early, earlier on the difficulty that Mark has the rooster crowing twice. And then the Lord denying and then Peter denying the Lord, uh, and the rooster crowing after Peter denies twice. And um, the other, other Gospels have the rooster crowing three times. And I have no, let me just tell you right now, I have no, I, I'm sorry, the rooster, the rooster crowing one time and G Peter's denial three times. Okay, They all have Peter denying three times. And uh, it's either one rooster crow or two. 
a few weeks ago, I thought I had a solution to this. It was very simplistic, but I hadn't read Mark. And the solution that I had three, three weeks ago really doesn't work. So let's take a look at this. Uh, Mark has the first rooster crow after Peter's first denial. Mark 14, uh, and 68, yeah, okay. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out, and he went out, on the porch, and a rooster crowed. Okay, That was the first denial. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. That's the second denial. And a little later, Those who stood by, now this sounds like Luke, it's almost identical language. Those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. And Peter called to mind the word that The Lord Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Okay, so um, there's not much else to say. (laughs) I mean, I'm not being facetious. It's it's one of I think it's one one of those places in our gospels where we have some unresolved issues. And uh, there aren't very many of those. I would, I would put this in the category of one of those. One thing, uh, silver lining here, one, one positive thing here is um, it shows you that the four Gospels, when they were originally written, nobody attempted to harmonize them. Okay? In other words, these weren't four different authors that met and each of them reviewed each other's accounts. No, they did not, you see. So uh, to me, that, that's a mark of the historical authenticity of the Gospels. Is there's no evidence that the writers tried to, um, when they were written, tried to harmonize them. Now, it's interesting in the textual history of the New Testament, as the New Testament gets copied and copied, I'm, I'm fairly certain there are places where later copyists attempted harmonizations. And that's why we have variance, variances, uh, variance in our Greek text, is some copyists tried to harmonize Matthew, Mark, and Luke in places. And, you know, you can find those. I wish they wouldn't have done that. <laughs> I wish the copyists wouldn't have done that. But uh, with the skill of textual criticism, you can kind of back back up through the history of the text and you can kind of find, like, that's surely a harmonization and that wasn't in the original text. Um, <clears throat> so all that said, that's not to say that there isn't a dependency between, the th- between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that maybe Luke is depending on Mark 
Maybe Matthew and Luke are both depending on Mark. Um, that might be the most likely. That's what I think. But um, So unless we dig up some more manuscripts, we'll probably not uh, learn much more about some of those questions. All right, now, where are we here? Uh, we're on page 211 now. The story regarding Peter does have a happy ending. Due to the Lord's grace and power, we see in Luke 22, 31. Let's just remind ourselves of that. The story has a happy ending. Uh, here we are, we're back during the Passover meal. Um, and, uh, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, <laughs> strengthen your brethren. Okay. And so Jesus warns of his falling and Jesus is confident of his return because he has prayed for you. And Jesus' prayers always get answered. Like John 17, maybe, where he prays for us. Go ahead. Um, Brian. Oh, it's often difficult to know that how big Jesus really means when he says, if you have faith oh. the size of a or a mustard seed, but if you yeah. have uh you can have you have faith and say to this mountain, move into the sea. Yeah. Right? And it'll be done for you. Yeah. It will be done. And and when Jesus says there, I have prayed for you, you know, does Jesus is he thinking in terms of I'm moving a mountain right now that no one else can move? It, I'm wondering whether that's going on in his mind kind of thing, and yeah. that's what I do kind of thing. Well, you, you know, um, <clears throat> those exorcisms that he empowered the apostles to perform, you know, some of them they couldn't. There's that incident where they could not, and, and they asked Jesus, well, you know, why couldn't we cast it out? And he made that kind of mysterious statement. This one only goes out with fasting and prayer. So they were not up to it. Uh, so I don't know. You're the second person in, in since Sunday that's talked to me about that particular mustard seed faith uh, illustration as an encouragement to us to pray. But this, I mean, put on put on our theological hats. This is perseverance of the saints, isn't it? We endure, we persevere because Jesus preserves us. <laughs> we, in, we, we persevere. It's the preservation of the saints. We could call it that. Preservation of the saints is probably the best expression to use because God preserves us. 
he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day. And uh, uh, you are kept by the power of God for grace to be revealed in the last hour. See, preservation of the saints. And Jesus did exactly that with Peter. Jesus preserved Peter. Okay, so probably that's the best language for that point of our five points. <laughs> preservation of the saints. So the story has a, has a good ending. All right, so we are now up to number two on your outline, Jesus before the Sanhedrin. And uh, <clears throat> let's just introduce that some. So now he's going to go and have a formal trial. The trial before Annas was not a formal trial, but now we have supposedly a formal trial. And then let's say Matthew 26, verse 57. Let's pick it up there. Okay. All right. Matthew doesn't tell us about Annas. You know, we only get that from John. Uh, they led Jesus away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Does there anything that, does anything you, strike you as a little bit unusual on that statement? Right. <laughs> that's, there you go. That's right. We are so used to reading scribes and Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees. We are so used to reading that. But when we get to the council here, there, there is not a single reference to a Pharisee during the entire council and before Pilate or, or the Sanhedrin. I think also before Pilate. There are no references to Pharisees participating in either of those trials. Um, and yeah, that is unusual. Now that doesn't deny that some one of the elders could also be a Pharisee. I mean, that's a possibility. But it is just it just stands out that the Pharisees are not mentioned. Now, um, okay, uh, let me find get in the right place in the notes here. The, you know, so they may not have participated in the trial. The Sanhedrin and the chief priests were mostly Sadducees. Uh, however, Nicodemus was an exception. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was a council member. And there's one other exception. Don't answer. <laughs> one other exception. Huh? No. No, we're talking about the Sanhedrin, the council that is going to try Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee and, and didn't agree with the condemnation of Jesus. There's one other exception. A guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea. That's right. We find out that he was a council member, a significant council member, and I'm jumping forward in my notes. Nicodemus being an exception. Okay. And um, <clears throat> he, 
He was a prominent member, and when we get to Luke, we find that out from Luke. He was a prominent member of the council, but he did not approve of their deed. Okay. Now, that didn't matter uh, because a quorum, whether, whether, whether Nick, here's a question, I'll just throw it out and we'll go on. Whether Nicodemus and Joseph were at that council that condemned Jesus or not, we don't know. The reason we don't know is the quorum was only 23. You know, they needed only to assemble 23. And so what's that? They didn't all have to be there. You know, I don't want to read between the lines. Do you know, you think maybe they picked the ones that they didn't have to be there. 23 is a quorum. But it makes me wonder, of those 23 that were there, did, did all 70 get invited and, and, and let known about this meeting? Or I, There's nothing in the text to know, but as corrupted as, as these men were, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them that well, don't tell him. He may not vote to condemn. Right. Yeah, so that council ha- is, is assembled there. And we'll follow Matthew. Uh, and so they start out, they're trying to find witnesses. Verse 59, now the chief priest and the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And there's some nuances here that I want to talk about. Caiaphas is pursuing his recommendation that he made earlier to the council, isn't he? That it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Jesus is that one man that should die in order to save the nation. And uh, so he must be convicted of a capital offense. And so that's what this text says. They already, they're, they're resolved to kill him. And they have to make some semblance of justice. Okay? They, 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 they're not going to kill him like they killed Stephen, <laughs> So they have to make some semblance of justice. And so that's what they're trying to do here. And uh, so they had, uh, okay, yeah. They, they, the council sought, sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And they need at least two witnesses. And they need two witnesses that agree in the facts. So that's what they're trying to do. They have a bunch of witnesses, false witnesses, but they don't agree. See, that's the problem. That's the first problem they're encountering. And uh, that'll be developed even more strongly when we read Mark. So uh, let's see. All right. The council didn't um, necessarily seek all or only liars. Now, the language might indicate that, but Matthew knows that Jesus is not guilty of any capital crimes. Thus, all such testimony must be false. 
all testimony of anything to do with a capital crime that Jesus might have committed, Matthew knows is false. <laughs> okay, so whatever witnesses they bring, if it's about capital crimes, it's not credible. Uh, it's false. Um, now, <clears throat> whether that testimony is intentional or not, I don't know. It's interesting when they finally get the two witnesses, we'll talk about that, about, about destroying the temple in a moment. For the council before any of such, they're, they're convinced. Or their consciences are so far gone that it doesn't matter whether he's really guilty or not. And I think the latter. <laughs> I think they're hard-pressed objectively to, kn to know they really have a strong blasphemy case against this man. I suspect they don't think they do. And the fact of all these witnesses, and they still can't get a strong blasphemy case, is what's going to happen in this trial. They, they've, they, they've brought their best. <laughs> and they can't get a blasphemy conviction. So I think that they don't care whether he's guilty of, of blasphemy or not. They're bound and determined to have him executed. So, remember, it is expedient that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should per perish. Pervert justice for one to benefit the many. And such is every statist justification for shedding innocent blood. Isn't that what they're doing? I think that's exactly what they're doing. Is they don't, they don't care whether he's guilty of blasphemy or not. He's got to go. And uh, so that's, that's what I think they're doing. So, where the many false witnesses who came forward came from is not clear. It's early hours in the morning, <laughs> and my commentaries all let me down on that. <laughs> nobody, I read four commentaries, and nobody asked that question. Where did, they, where did all these witnesses come from? Were they rounding them up ahead of time? Maybe. You know, they knew they're, they're sending the mob out to arrest Jesus on Thursday night. And what are they going to do? they got a plan. They're going to bring him before the Sanhedrin. So maybe they started, as soon as Judas showed up, maybe they started gathering up witnesses. I don't know. Any ideas? <laughs> More? Uh, Brian? <laughs> I've thought a lot about this. Um, so... It, it seems to me that I, I think you're on the right track that the councilmen themselves were part of uh, those um, accusing Jesus and oh, witnesses. Yeah, that's one um, source. But there's a couple other things going on. Even though these were vile, debased men, 
they had standards of who they would believe and was acceptable to the court. For instance, they wouldn't accept the testimony of a woman. Yeah. Okay. And so these are very, you know, stereotypical or, or men that have stereotypes mm-hmm. that they're um, falling into. So um, when they, they're looking for witnesses that uh, heard Jesus in the previous days, yeah. but that are of a certain class to meet their standards. And oh. so the soldiers that went out, not yeah. all of them, I don't think, would qualify to right. offer witness as a as a high enough yeah. state. And so they're looking for people, but the problem is um, no one rightly wanted to hear Jesus' words, so they couldn't remember them. And that's why it took them a while to find two oh. people that were coming oh. separately to yeah. state that Jesus said he would destroy the temple and raise it. Yeah. They, they couldn't find any two people. It wasn't that none of them said something they wouldn't have executed him for, that when they all came up, each of the... Sanhedrin that are there are yeah. slapping their faces because these guys can't get their false story straight. Right. And they know they can't accept it. Yeah. Right. And so right. It, it, it's becoming so obvious. Yeah. But as far as where some of these witnesses came, be, when you had described that Jesus made this happen and the night of the Passover, he puts everything into play. It's just amazing, right? Yeah. Guess who's not prepared? The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. I think the reason you see this kangaroo court is because they didn't know Judas was going to come that night until he showed up. And so while they're scrambling, and many of the people that were upset at Jesus in the temple teaching, you know, and and wanted to get rid of him, they're all at home sleeping. And they're not on the council or whatever. So the Jew, I think the Chinese are like, where are all these people that really didn't were agreeing yeah. with us. So we're these lawyers that yeah. we're trying to we were trying to connive. So I know I'm being long winded, but I think that um these Pharisees or these uh, elders are caught off guard having to do this yeah. all in a very short time because they know they have to get it done by dawn. Yeah. So they they found them somehow and um all right. So Yeah, the testimony, but found none. (laughs) Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And we'll do the thing. Tune in next week (laughs) because we're going to spend we're going to spend maybe a whole 15 minutes on this. And, and work through it. So, and you can tell they were really trying. At last, two false witnesses came forward uh, about, about Jesus' statement. So when was that statement made? When did Jesus make that statement, you guys? About, about the temple being destroyed. You guys know when he made that? Nope. That's prior to the Olivet Discourse <laughs> when they pointed out the temple and Jesus said, well, he did talk about the, you're, you, you, get, you get a B. Uh, I, I was too harsh on you. He did talk about the destruction of the temple at the Olivet Discourse when the disciples pointed that out. But that's not what they're referring to here. Anybody else? It's right it's Jesus' first Passover that he attended during his public ministry. Remember the wedding at Cana? First is the wedding in Cana, and after the wedding at Cana, the family leaves and goes to Jerusalem 
And that's Jesus' first Passover in his public ministry. So that's like three years ago. And he goes to Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple. And they ask him, by what authority do you do these things? That's when he said, and I'm not going to quote what he said, because these guys didn't quite quote it correctly, what he said. We'll go through that next, next week. But that was three years ago. At the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he made that statement about the temple. So, all right. Okay. Let's pray. Uh, our Father, uh, oh, you know, we see these things and we ask you to... We don't want to study these things just like uh, religious technicians, Lord, and, and we're not. And But we do want to thoroughly understand these things and to defend them and to make them known. And it's your work, your word, your history, and we do joy... Uh, to look and study and see your works. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us the power not to deny you, uh, whatever that may mean in our daily lives or in the future, that you give us the strength to trust you. And we thank you that you uh, preserve us. And Lord, uh, we thank you. What can we say None of Jesus' sheep, Lord Jesus, you do lose none. And so we thank you for this. We pray in your name. Amen.